guys, Bill here. Joining me on the show today, first is ESPN's Dominique Foxworth to talk about the CBA negotiations, and then a former producer, a frequent contributor, and a friend of the show, Daniel Dopp, will be joining us to talk about the Detroit Lions and their very interesting offseason to come. So we'll get to that. But first, I wanted to remind everyone about the Baseball Tonight podcast. So much stuff happening as we approach opening day. To get the best recap of what's happening in spring training and all the Astros drama and the best preview of the baseball season to come, download and subscribe to the Baseball Tonight podcast. And of course, if you haven't done it already, the Bill Barnwell Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And guys, hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing. So you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. That's my last name, B-A-R-N-W-E-L-L, ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now let's get started with Dominique. All right, joining me on the show... As promised, not just a pretty face on television, not just a very successful former NFL player, not just a frequent contributor to many ESPN podcasts, including this one, but if I'm not mistaken, someone who has negotiating experience when it comes to collective bargaining in several sports is Dominique Foxworth. Is that true, Dominique? All that is true. What were your roles? In the past when it came to negotiating. I was an executive committee member, and I was in on all the negotiating sessions when I was an NFL player. Then I was president. We didn't have negotiations at that point because we had already signed the deal. And then um, after graduate school, I went to the NBA Players Association, the chief operating officer, and participated in some preliminary um, CBA talks with the, NF- or excuse me, with the NBA before I came to work for ESPN. Now, not going to lie. Typically, I try not to have the same guest as other podcasts each week. So when you, Mina had you on her show this week, I was like, hmm. But number one, you are extremely qualified for this topic and the most qualified person on the planet, I think, when it comes to discussing the NFL CBA. But also, a lot of news is broken since Monday. Yeah. We had a lot of stuff coming out today in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. You were in ESPN at the Seaport for which show are you doing today? Get Up First Take? Yes, Both? sir. All, just all of them, just on TV constantly. Um, but so we're reporting from different places here, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss when it comes to not only the current status of the CBA negotiations, but also the bigger picture. Because I want to talk to you about your negotiations during the last CBA period and sort of the difficulties of, of negotiating this incredibly huge deal for for thousands of players and uh, across from 32 owners who – are of varying abilities and a varying intelligence when it comes to negotiation. <laughs> um, but let's start with the stuff that broke this morning. Right. So 
initially, the executive committee had negotiated the deal with the NFL, and then yesterday there were negotiations between the NFL and the NFLPA, and then last night, I think technically this morning when we're recording on Wednesday, so around 1 a.m. Wednesday morning, according to reports from several people, including my, uh, last week's guest, Dan Graziano, player reps voted 17-14 with one abstention to send the CBA vote to the full membership of the NFL. So now every single NFLPA member is going to vote on this proposed CBA. So let's start with this, Dominique. Were you surprised even after the executive committee voted 6-5 against and then reportedly 7-4 against ratifying this CBA that the player reps voted in favor of sending it to the broader player pool? I'm... I'm absolutely surprised. Now that it's happened, really? I feel like maybe you shouldn't. I shouldn't have been surprised since the EC sent the mis- mixed message that mm-hmm. it wouldn't be. Um, you can expect the the reps to send a mixed message, but the reason why I'm surprised is because like the point of having an executive committee is so that they can make these decisions and give the reps guidance because the reps, all 32 reps and 64, if you include the alternates, can't be at all the negotiations. Mm. And obviously all 1,500 to 2,000 this time of year players can't be in the negotiations. So by passing, continually passing the responsibility down, you give it to the guys who have the least information and have been the least involved. And I've talked to a bunch of people within the union and around the union since all this is happening. And it seems that the executive committee feel like they were not, or many people in the executive committee feel like they were not involved in the negotiations to the degree that they felt like they should have been. And that's part of the reason why they don't necessarily, why some of them, six of them at one point and seven of them at another point, believe that the deal is not good. And the circumstances that are not, my negotiations were, were different. I was at everything all the time, mm-hmm. in part because we were locked out. And also in part because I tore my ACL. So like, so you had nothing better. Yeah, I was rehabbing and going to these, um, to these meetings. And so we were a part of it the whole time. So we saw the whole process. And I think this, this has been entirely different. I think a lot of the guys, not I think I've talked to many guys and they, excuse me, the many guys on executive committees and they feel mm-hmm. like they weren't involved and, and they feel like they could have done a better job had they been involved, which is why. And they're not up against the clock in the same way we were, where our decision was like lockout, miss games, miss checks, or sign the deal. And that's a different situation than they're in because if they don't sign the deal, they still got a full season to prepare mm-hmm. for what could potentially be a lockout or a strike. Mm-hmm. So when you were negotiating that last deal, were all was it still 11 members at that time? Yes. And they were 11 members were typically in all those meetings? No. No. How many people were typically in meetings? I mean, it depended. I was at all of them. I think Jeff Saturday was probably at about all of them. Uh, but different guys on the EC would rotate in and out. So uh, at any given time, we'd have up to six. And once we got to the end, all 11 were there. But we have like six to three to four, something like that. And on the ownership side, was it a community yeah. of like five or six owners? Yeah. They had a management council that was tasked with the similar as executive committee to be there to make those to participate in negotiations. And then on occasion they would rotate some owners in when we talked about issues that were of importance, particular importance to to those guys. So if there was like a PF Chang's related conversation, you'd bring Mark (laughs) Davison for discussion. More like if there was a stadium funding thing, we'd bring Uh, in somebody who was looking to get a stadium funded soon mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, Let me ask you this then. I have a couple questions related to sort of what you discussed. So number one, 
it seems like, and this is maybe my read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like the benefits of this negotiation are more likely to be realized by the majority of players than the sort of smaller minority of players who have long-term careers and who are relatively successful have significant sort of resources behind them in terms of having, you know, made millions of dollars as opposed to hundreds of thousands of dollars and sort of being on a, you know, on a minimum contract or close to a minimum contract. So is that, does that surprise you in terms of like, no, so I, I think that characterization is 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 fairish, but I also okay. think that you have to take into account if uh, they do get the one point five percent boost in salary cap uh, mm-hmm. or salary spending, that's going to benefit the stars. That's not going to benefit these guys. So I do mm-hmm. think in the immediate, the guys whose salary jumps and who get an extra week of full pay, and I think that the players were able to negotiate um, pay for scale, not just up to $250,000 for all players, even the mm-hmm. highest paid players oh, um, since their last meeting. But that all happens. But I do think that it is should be, should understand that anybody who will be a free agent and has leverage to negotiate, which is the quarterbacks, mostly by and large quarterbacks and stars, if they get to free agency under this new deal, they will have access to a bigger pool of money and and potentially be able to negotiate for a higher percentage, which is significant in this climate. And you and I have talked about this before, like all the major sports unions have taken steps back financially mm-hmm. in, in the last decade. Plus, this would be the first time that a sports union is taking a step forward financially, and it's going to cost them a lot, an extra game. I'm not sure. I'm not in a position. Fortunately, I don't have to decide whether it's enough or not, but that is the price that they have to pay. If they want to get anything higher than that, we'll see what they can do in negotiations. But they have to be prepared to uh, go all the way up to the edge and jump, which yeah. means work stoppage and missing checks. And that's money that guys likely will never see back. But this union was built on on lots of players making sacrifices. And I love the idea of these guys being prepared to pay it forward and sacrifice, too. Mm-hmm. In in terms of the voting population, though, I mean, obviously, financially, you know, the the top players, like you said, will have the opportunity right. if the cap goes up dramatically, which it seems like it will, right. assuming the the TV deals go up dramatically when they're renegotiated next year. Um, the top players will get plenty of that money. Obviously, right. the quarterbacks will get the majority of the money, and finally, I think it's fair to say, quarterbacks will get paid. It's, it's <laughs> going to be a great time for uh, thirty two quarterbacks who will not finally be able to buy a house and all that stuff. But I mean, you know, like in terms of the voting electorate, though, yeah. I mean, the random practice squad guy has the same voting power in terms of having one vote in the NFLPA as opposed to, you know, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. You're uh, right. You're right. And I understand that in the sheer numbers, but by and large, and I think that those guys do see that small picture, but by and large, um, NFL players are not that much different from the rest of society where essentially our society is like billionaires, millionaires, and a bunch of people who think they're going to be millionaires or billionaires at some point. Mm-hmm. Like the players are the same way. And no player who's on practice squad who or was undra- undrafted or who's a third-round pick, they all think they're going to be Hall of Famers, and they all mm-hmm. think that they are going to get their crack at free agency. So while the immediate, short-term, and frankly long-term, for the vast majority of those guys who are going to wash out of the league in two, three years, mm-hmm. while it would be in their interest to maybe take this money now, they don't think that that's what's going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. They think they're going to be around. And then you could argue that the 17th game could shorten their careers, which 
could mean that they never make it to to um the their fourth season at which point they become vested and can mm-hmm. get uh some of the benefits that are owed to retired players. So it's all uh it's all a, a tough situation. It's impossible to feel completely comfortable with whatever decision you make at this point. Right. So then what I'm going to ask you is this in terms of the perception. I think it's fair to say that because there are those carve outs for increasing minimum salaries in the CBA, where uh, it's a hundred thousand dollar increase in 2020, fifty thousand dollars in 2021, forty five thousand dollar afterwards, a ninety thousand dollar increase for minimum salary players who are not uh, rookies, if I'm not mistaken. It seems like the perception is once that opportunity gets to the broader player pool, because a significant portion, a majority of right. players are on minimum salaries or close to minimum salaries, that those sort of increases are going to be enough to get those players to vote for the deal. Do you think that is too simplistic of a story? Um, I think that that is part of the story. I also think that the those guys are going to rely on their reps. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how each rep feels. My guess is they're going to rely on their reps and their team leaders. So I'm not sure how each rep feels, but I suspect that a lot of guys who are going to be active, and this, again, is not unlike politics in America. It's like the people who vote are the people who are most passionate. And I feel mm-hmm. like there could be a situation where there are a lot of guys who are passionate about saying no, and then there's a lot of guys who aren't going to respond to the emails or whatever and not going to sign up for DocuSign or whatever they have to sign up for to, to get their vote verified because they're – a little bit more passive and they don't care. So I could see a situation where the stars on a particular team are like, nah, we're voting against this. The the leaders on the team say, nah, we're voting against this. All those guys, the reps say, we're voting against this. And and those guys follow that. And I could also see the situation where they're sitting at home and their family and their wife or whomever, their parents are like, you got to get this money while you have the chance. And I could see guys who are late in their career. Like you think about Tom Brady and Drew Brees, like, they can't be thinking that a complete year off of football would be good for their career. So it's right. so many competing interests and and things tugging in di- different directions. I would not. I think the the consensus and the guys who I've talked to inside the union believe that it's likely, most likely, going to get passed. But I'm not sure when it gets down to time time to make the vote. Everyone's vote is protected too. Like they're not going to be able to see your vote. So mm-hmm. I could see guys like listening and then going back and making another decision. I mean, we're seeing star players and certainly notable players come out and be skeptical of this deal. We've seen uh, in weeks past, we've seen Richard Sherman, we've seen David Bakhtiari. Uh, just today, Russell Wilson came out and said he was voting no against the deal. Uh, Marquise Pouncey released a video that uh, politely said uh, that he was not interested. He did not like the deal and was upset with NFLPA leadership. I, I mean, in terms of your perspective, having done this before, how difficult is it to represent such a wide swath of players who are in different financial circumstances at different points in their careers who have, you know, a shorter career than a typical union? How tough is this? It's impossible. (laughs) It's frankly impossible. I remember because my, our negotiation was also the negotiation that took down, um, rookie salaries. And I remember being in those rooms saying like, no, we can't do this to them because this league pays on potential. Mm -hmm. And that is a point where they have a lot of potential. I lost that argument because there aren't, 
there are no guys who are upcoming rookies in those rooms. So, like, it's hard to get people to stand for it. So that happens also when it's about the people who are in the room to be able to represent their interests. And it happens on the owner side, too. There are splits there that that um cause rifts and, and cause decisions. But I think there is only one thing that they can all uh, – that everybody on your side agrees on. It's increasing salary and benefits. And, like, that's the share of the pie and reducing – uh, the amount of off-season obligations you have. Outside of that, all the other things, like they are, like we talk about franchise tech, like that mm-hmm. has different impacts. Like that, you could argue that that puts more money back in the pot because the the teams have leverage so they can push down, suppress the salaries of star players and that mm-hmm. um, puts more money in the pot that has to be spent on other players. So like everything that we talk about, and you talk about guaranteed contracts. You could say that having fully guaranteed contracts, while that's not something that you can negotiate for, I, I've never been a proponent of fully guaranteed contracts, but they they uh, they have the guarantees and signing bonus. But you could argue mm-hmm. that having fully guaranteed contracts and someone gets hurt in a dangerous game like football, that person is out. Someone else has to then play. But mm-hmm. what, if there's no money left available to pay them for their starting job they've taken – then it's not there. So like it's all that stuff. Everything is interconnected and everyone is there is going to be some gray cloud to every silver lining that you negotiate for, with the exception of getting a bigger slice of the pie. Mm-hmm. So the offseason stuff, I want to talk about that because the reports that I've seen about the NFL NFLPA discussions yesterday um, in terms of negotiating that 17th game. It was not about, oh, we have to get to 50%. It was not about getting extra money, although they did get that carve out in terms of the 17th game not being capped at 250K, which seems like that was going to happen. Like that was going to be like the NFL sort of way to give in. Um, but in terms of what was being discussed, it seems like, according to Dan Graziano again, Aaron Rodgers was, was among the people arguing that the players needed to get more off-season concessions in return for a 17th game. And I know that's something that you also focused on right. when you were negotiating the prior CBA. So can you just give me some sort of details on like, like what's changed from the CBA before the last one to yours? And then how important is it to players to have those sort of concessions into this next CBA as well? Well, I think that the reason why they're trying to do it is because they're trying to make it so adding a game is like neutral yeah. as far as wear and tear on your body. I don't think that's possible. I think you could eliminate practice, all practices, and you just show up on game day. And a 17th game like there, you can't take away enough off-season work that the the risk and the danger and the um that comes with the 17th game will mm-hmm. be equivalent. But in our previous situation, there were essentially no rules on mm-hmm. on practice, and depending on what team you landed on, it was very disparate in how it ha- and how you were practiced and how training camp went and how regular season practice went and we were um, of the belief that at that time we didn't fully understand not that we do now fully understand the impact of 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 hits to the head and head trauma so we were of the belief that we can eliminate as many free hits as possible like the hits that to your head that happen in situations that are not live game action let's eliminate them Let's also try to lengthen guys' careers by not having coaches because, like, coaches think that some many coaches think that you can send a message to your team or you're going to make your guys tough by working them crazy hard during training camp, having back to back to back two a days and those sorts of things. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that because that is also uh, raises our injury risk for stuff not including our head. So that was the way that we were looking at it. We recognized that we were in a situation where the financial structure of this was going to change, but we really uh try to make them pay for that 
in a way that would help prolong the long-term health and safety and and quality of life for our guys uh, going forward. And we felt like we uh, accomplished that. And now I there are more gains that it can take, but I don't think that you can. We did that without adding a game. So, like, mm-hmm. it was a, a net negative or, I guess, positive for our guys' bodies. I don't know that you can get to a point where it's even neutral now once you mm-hmm. add a game. And you're speaking about this as someone who suffered a season-ending injury in training camp. Yeah, I did. First day of training camp. I tore my ACL, and that was that. Oh, you can't even blame workload for that. Yeah, we can't. It was the first I, day. I, I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. You could have just, you know, pretended. My bad. I'm too My honest. Bad. It's fine. Um, but I mean, in, in terms of your negotiations and in terms of how it was perceived outside of the negotiations, we talked about this off the air before. Like, I, I, I think that was something that's been seen as a very bad negotiation for the players yeah. because they didn't get this sort of financial recompense that people were hoping for. And, and in terms of these negotiations, the easiest thing to understand right. is the cut, right? Like at right. the end of the day... That's the final score. Right. That's the final score. And that's the easiest thing to understand if you're a player, if you're a member of the media, if you're a fan, like just, hey, 50% is more than 48%, players are going to get paid more. Do you regret not just going in there and saying, hey, let's just get the biggest share possible and we can deal yeah. with all the other stuff elsewhere? Um, No. So we got to the 11th hour. Our situation isn't like this one. Our situation was if we do not uh, vote yes tomorrow, we will guarantee ourselves that we'll miss at least four games. So in our meeting with the executive committee, which is like I would have paid to be in in the executive committee meeting where they voted uh, 7-4 against it. But in our meeting, I was advocating for rejecting the deal. And I was – somewhat cocky and a bit aggressive and I wanted us to reject the deal and go ahead and miss some games and and hopefully extract more. We had a meeting, executive committee, and we felt that it was important to show a unified front. So I was one of the very few and I was like, all right, well, I'll back down. We'll recommend that we pass the deal. And I assumed that something similar to that would happen is that the, the EC would get in their meeting and come out and say, we as a group recommend that we reject this or we accept it. Looking back, I think that I was, like I mentioned, I think I was a bit arrogant and foolhardy, and I think that it probably would have been a mistake mistake to reject that deal at that time. But the situation is different now where they have a little bit more time because it feels like after the EC voted 7-4, to four, they got more concessions out of the owners in just mm-hmm. a few days between then. So I could understand the players feeling like we still have a whole nother year. We don't even need money. The, the pressure is on the league to negotiate their TV deals, not on us. There, There's really no pressure on the players from their respect until you get to a point where you're going to have to miss games. And that's where you get to Marcus Pouncey's point, and it's though I wouldn't have expressed it the same way he did, and I certainly would have taken shots at the leadership. Like he's right, players in the past have, past have gone on strike with much less, and the only way you're going to get what you what you want is to be able to pay for it. And if you're going to pay for it with a 17th game, or you're going to pay for it with um, forfeiting uh, four games of a season and four checks or forfeiting a full season and put the pressure on the lead. Like you're going to have to pay for it at some point. You're not going to be able to find some cheap rhetorical tricks and play hardball and, and trick the owners. You're going to have to pay for it. And I'm not sure that the players, it's the reason why I said, I, I think I was wrong in suggesting that we reject the deal mm-hmm. because I don't think our players were going to pay for it. I don't think they were ready for it. I think had we gone into a work stoppage, 
a war of attrition against the richest and most powerful people in sports, we probably would have had less leverage than we did at that very moment. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to come back with Dominique Foxworth and talk more about the CBA negotiations and his past as a CBA negotiator in a moment. But first, guys, you may have heard of a COO by the name of Dylan Meskowitz. He's a real business owner who struggled with finding the right fit for his director of coffee roll until he turned to ZipRecruiter. Well, a lot has happened since he made that first hire with ZipRecruiter. His organic coffee business, Cafe Altura, grew. Their distribution increased, and they expanded their product offerings. And you're not going to believe this. They hired a director of coffee, but they grew so much, Dylan had to hire not only a junior roaster, but a second director of coffee. How did he do it? You're not going to be surprised. Once again, through ZipRecruiter. And you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. Because while Dylan was busy managing his booming business and signing autographs for being the most famous podcast advertising COO out there, ZipRecruiter did the work for him. Its matching technology found people with the right skills and experience and actively invited them to apply. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So see for yourself how ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. From coffee roaster to construction worker to CMO. To try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. My last name, B-A-R-N-W-E-L-L, ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now back to the show. So I think I know the answer to this question already, but I want to ask it. You don't believe that if the NFLPA rejects this offer, that it's the best offer they're going to see over the next 12 months? I don't know. <laughs> what do you believe? Um, see, this is where it's difficult because if you if your responsibility is to do what's in the best interest of the players you represent right now, then I think you accept the deal because it's a bird in the hand and whatever you negotiate will not affect those players as much. However, if you're representing all the players, including the future players, past and present, if you're able to extract another percentage point and it costs you a billion dollars or a few billion dollars because you've missed salaries, then you are likely to make that up in the long run if you're able to extract enough percentage points. So like I would argue that that would be the smart thing to do, but I think you don't enter into this unless you are ready um to enter a work stoppage. And again, what Marcus Pouncey said was like essentially that he he and other stars will be able to support the guys who don't have the money to do it. If they are willing to do that, then let's go. But what I find is everybody talks tough uh, in the ninth hour, the tenth hour, you get to the eleventh hour, people still talking tough. Then you get to eleven fifty nine, and people good, they start to shrivel up, mm-hmm. and then the deal is done, and then they wait until the uh, the next day or a few months later, and then they start talking tough again, like how oh, this deal isn't enough, this isn't enough. You have to pay the price, and if you're not willing to, and you all have to be willing to, which is the toughest part, but. Yeah, then we can go into another thing that'll bore all your listeners is decertification and antitrust law. But do you want do you want to talk about that? I always want to talk about it. Let's That's, talk about it. I mean, I I think that the way that things are currently constructed, and I've written about this and yeah. gone into all the math of how it works out, is that the the power asymmetry is frankly too much to expect any players to win at this point in negotiations. And I think we've gotten to a point where the union is has outlived its usefulness for players. They should exist as a trade association and um, 
and uh, expose the league to antitrust litigation, which I think uh, gives them more, frankly, not even just more leverage. Uh, it's not just about a leverage play. I just think existing as an association uh, is better for the players because I think the existence of the of a union, frankly, provides more protection for the league than it does to, for the players at this point. And uh, that's my opinion. And that's it, most people. I think a lot of people find it a little scary on the other side entering into that world. But if you understand the NFL, the players went on strike a few times and they got nothing. They lost. They decertified the union and operate as an aso- association and challenge the NFL in court uh, uh, and challenge them on the idea of having a draft and all of the and salary cap, because those are things that are frankly illegal and can't exist in any other workplace. They only exist because the union exists. So they mm-hmm. dissolved the union, challenged them there. The league then capitulated. That's how the NFL got free agency in, in 92 into 93. Um, or 93 into 94. That's how they got free agency because the league capitulated. And as a stipulation of the settlement agreement, the league told the players, you must reform as a union to give us um, protection from antitrust law. And like there are plenty of drawbacks of decertifying and the league can no, no longer has the leverage to negotiate as one block to get those big money deals uh, and TV money. But I mean, it's a long, complicated issue. I'm not a lawyer, but I've spent enough time talking about this and all those laws that I feel comfortable in this space. But I think that's where all sports unions could should go, mm-hmm. frankly, because you look at all the other unions and they're taking steps back too. do you think there's a realistic possibility of that happening? If this negotiation goes poorly, that's interesting. Um, I, I hadn't considered that honestly. I because so the the tough thing about doing it now is it kind of flies in the face of what I believe. It, it won't you'll lose if you try to decertify now because I think the league would successfully argue that it was be a sham decertification mm-hmm. that you just decertified to create leverage. I personally believe that you are better off <laughs> being not being a union, and you would probably have to do that decertify well in advance of any CBA negotiation. So I, I don't necessarily think that that's a viable strategy for them now, but mm-hmm. uh, you, the league, if they lose a suit, they have to pay treble damages. So just the fear of being sued and the risk of potentially de- losing that or losing mm-hmm. that suit could, I think, scare the league potentially. But I don't know if that's a, it's not a move that you can use as a negotiating negotiation ploy. And I think the, the courts might find that you are using it as a negotiating ploy and not mm-hmm. a real decision. Makes sense. I mean, given that... Man, I'm putting you, your listeners to sleep. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Gotta say something crazy and interesting. You want a hot yeah, take? I want. I always want a hot take. Um, uh, this is not... LeBron is the best player. I've he's seen you on TV Jordan. before. Of course he's better than Jordan. What are you talking about? That's not a hot take. Oh, uh, okay. I thought it was hot. He's way better. He's okay, way better. Cool. Jordan's um, better than LeBron then. There you go. Take that. <laughs> he flipped it on. <laughs> uh, a couple more questions and then we'll finish up. So you, you talked about decertifying, and it's unlikely. So in terms of the current situation, the current union and their current strengths and weaknesses, their current formation, assuming nothing can change in right. that sense, I mean, do you think this is just in a, a, a near or actually impossible fight to win because the deck is stacked against players? Um, No. I think it's – I mean, I guess it depends on what you decide – what you consider winning – like some people, I think, would argue that the deal that they have on the table right now is a win because it's a, a gain financially in a situation where no one else is gaining financially. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on how much um, risk in the the league and the owners are willing to expose themselves to. 
So that's what it's essentially negotiating negotiations at some point becomes like a, 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 a game of chicken to some degree to oversimplify it. But which group do you believe is going to turn away first? And you're like, all right, so we're going to walk towards this edge and whoever pulls up first is the t- is the, the group that's going to have to give some concessions. And I think that it, there's a possibility that the owners could be more scared of entering that than the players because things are going so well. But I think by and large, you look at the economic situation of it, the, the, the players by and large, the players are normally that group that steps back first or is likely to step mm-hmm. back first. That's what we've, that's what we've seen through the history of strikes in, um, in football. And we've seen how strikes have had some success in baseball, but then you would, you would argue that that has it had success for the player side, but you would argue that it hurt the game overall. So that's where I think you might think that the owners might back up is they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you guys are going to cripple the game that has been growing as the golden goose that everyone loves. You're going to turn fans against us. And if the players are willing to cross that Rubicon or at least credibly threaten, because mm-hmm. all that really matters is that the owners think you will, because right. then the owners will pull up. But I think up until now, the owners kind of have known that the players, enough players will be like, yeah, this is nonsense. Let me go ahead and get this check that's on the table. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of giving up the 17th game, if we assume that this deal is going to be passed, it just seems like there, there's questions, but it seems like if you were betting on it, you would bet on the deal to pass most likely. Does it discourage you in terms of thinking that things like the franchise tag ever disappearing or lifetime health care or, or something really, you know, a, a big ticket, significant item yeah. is never going to come off the table because it didn't come off the table here or is there still hope for stuff like that to happen in the future? Yeah, that's the that's the argument against it is that you didn't get enough for the 17th game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it goes back to the point I made is you're going to have to pay for any gains that you want. And this is a big price, paying with a 17th game. And I could understand several players saying, just as a matter of principle, no, there is no amount of money that would make me want to play 17 games or make me feel comfortable because while we know more about concussions now and we know more about the safety of football or the lack of safety of football now, we don't fully understand it. So, like, I could understand guys taking that principal position, but I could also understand guys saying, well, since we don't know that, the premium is going to be higher for you guys to get that. So. I I completely understand guys saying, well, this is the biggest chip we have to play. This is the biggest thing we can hand over to them, and they're going to have to give us more than these work rule changes and more than what they're estimating at um, $5 billion over 10 years in uh, salary. So did, did, I'm not sure you even answered. Did you answer the question? I don't know. What was it? <laughs> the question was, do you think the franchise tag ever disappeared oh, yeah. and stuff like that? Do you think it's it's off the table now because they weren't able to get that for a 17th game? Yeah, I don't think the franchise tag um, ever disappears because I don't think uh, the players as a body care about it that much. Mm-hmm. I think okay, it comes down to it affecting right. a small group of players and it also reduces those top players negotiating leverage, which theoretically puts more money in the pie for the the guys who aren't quarterbacks or aren't like Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame pass rushers. So I don't think that is ever anything that anyone actually cares any substance about. And your point about lifetime uh, health care, like that's expensive. And I think the yeah. guys who are in the room at the time, I don't know that they think about that necessarily. Like I'm a retired guy and lifetime health care would have been something nice to have. But when you're in that room, that's not what you're thinking about necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it 
what it adds up to, but I suspect that being able to, to uh, ensure football players for the rest of their life, I think is probably pretty expensive. I agree. But if anyone's worth it, it's Dominique Foxworth. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful guest here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Dominique, where are the many places people can check out your coverage and thoughts on the CBA? Um, the Bill Barnwell Show. It's the only place. That's not true. It's a lie. That's a know. blatant lie. I know, but you got mad at me for being too honest earlier, so now I'm working on no, the lies. I'm not. I'm never mad at you. Or you're disappointed. Been, I, you're disappointed that I under, undercut your point by crowbarring the truth in there. No, I, I like it when you disagree. That's a good okay. thing. I, I, we embrace debate on this show, Dominique. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a term I came up with that I have used since day one here on the Bill Barnwell Show. Uh, well, you can find me on Undefeated Twitter and TV. <laughs> Just turn on your TV. Whatever. Just channel. turn on a TV. I'm Chances on are it'll be Dominique Fox. I mean, if you're in a barbershop or, uh, or, uh, I don't know, like a train station, those TVs, you're somewhere where people are sitting around and waiting. I'm up on there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dominique. All right. Joining me now, former producer of the Bill Barnwell Show. Oh. Frequent contributor to Fantasy Focus. Yep. To the Fantasy Show with Matthew Berry. Mm-hmm. A man who has his own show on ESPN Zero, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Accurate. It's Daniel Zop. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am very good. Talked about the CBA with Dominique Foxworth mm-hmm. in the previous segment. Going in a different direction here. Want to talk about the Detroit Lions. Are you sure you want to lead with Dominique rather than lead with me? I, You know what? You guys are my two handsomest friends. Oh, well, so you know I, what? I, okay. I want to alternate in okay. terms of... All right. Yeah, this, is, this is the sexy version of right. Bill Barnum. That's show. fair. That's, that's fair. So we talked about that. Sure. I want to talk about the Detroit Lions because I think they are a team that maybe has the most interesting decisions ahead of them in mm-hmm. the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Because even if they don't trade Matthew Stafford, which seems like it's not going to happen, seemed pretty unlikely to begin with, there's at least that conversation of should they have considered trading Matthew Stafford before they made cap moves and then do you draft a quarterback with the third pick? There's all kinds of stuff we can get to. Sure. But let's start with the bigger picture. Yep. The Lions lost their last eight games Mm -hmm. in 2019 without Matthew Stafford or quarterback. How are you feeling about the Detroit Lions as a fan? Uh, Not – not super optimistic. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think there's a lot of things. There was a lot of things with Stafford. That offense was rolling. Kenny Dowlett, Galladay. It was playing. Came on. It was great. Yeah. Um, I, I was very happy with that. Defense was always a problem. Yes. Uh, but the offense was, I mean, if you're scoring 28, you know, 25, 26, 27 points a game, mm-hmm. that should, your defense should be good enough that you're winning games like that. Yeah. I agree. But they weren't. But they weren't. They weren't some. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, even that Chiefs game is a good example Ugh. where it felt like, you know, they're playing a team that ended up winning the Super Bowl. They're, you know, they had to come up with one stop at the end of the game. And granted, it's hard. The Chiefs are good on offense, sure. but still weren't able to do it. And with a coach in Matt Patricia who came over because he's supposed to be a defensive guru and he even came up with some stuff that other teams have stolen, mm-hmm. you know, where he came up with the idea to stop the Rams with the six one front and teams with better personnel have been able to copy that. But Matt Patricia, perhaps being the crappy coach you've never heard of, uh, in this scenario, uh, ha- you know, has been an influencer, has been an influence, but not necessarily been able to sort of incorporate that into the Lions' success on defense. Even traded Quandre Diggs, which got the various members of the Detroit Lions' defense themselves upset publicly. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have much faith 
that the Lions can turn things around in 2020 with Stafford, with Bob Quinn, and with uh, Matt Patricia? Or do you think that it's just there has to be a regime change before anything can change realistically? I want the answer to be yes, yes. in my heart. I want the answer to be yes. What does the answer sound like in your head? No. No. But let me give you an example. Sure. You may have noticed the San Francisco 49ers Heard of them. had a very good year in 2019 mm-hmm. after having a very bad year in 2018. Yeah. And one of the reasons they got better is, hey, they drafted – or they didn't draft – they drafted a defensive lineman who helped out dramatically. Yep. They improved their defense. Mm-hmm. And their quarterback, who missed almost the entire season, was healthy and played pretty well. And sort of the guy that replaced him the year before, but we don't need to get into that. We, th- that's a more complicated narrative. Sure. Try to go with the simple narrative. Okay. That's here. fair. Um. So, I mean, we have, we've seen a team make that sort of turnaround recently. Even mm-hmm. if you think the Super Bowl might be a bit of a stretch, which I think is fair to say, yep. there's a chance they could be a very competitive team at the very least yeah. in 2020. But you feel like you're so skeptical of the executives involved that it's tough to imagine them turning things around. I think there were some poor contract choices when it came to like resigning certain linebackers that mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't think they're great pass rushers, nor do I think they're great. I mean, they're absolutely terrible in when it comes to the, uh, uh, you know, stopping the passing game in general. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Jones is just outrageously bad, and, and I don't know why he got the contract he did. <laughs> and I'm sure if I met Christian Jones, he would be a really nice guy. Like, sure. I, I don't mean that in like uh, anything disparaging toward him sure. as a person. Um, but I look at the idea that like, okay, you're looking to trade away potentially your best defensive player in Darius Slay. Yes. As a part of that, we have not only made Darius Slay, but like now Snacks is gone. Yes. We, we released Damon Harrison. Uh, I doubt that Mike Daniels or Ashawn Robinson will come back. Those right. are, I mean, our, the middle of our defensive line is just gutted. Right. Uh, we didn't have Trey Flowers. Took him a while to be able to come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't really a dominant uh, edge rusher from that standpoint. Played very well. And I don't think that that's we didn't sign him to be that guy to right. go out and get 14 sacks. So that's totally fine with me. Right. It's not about the numbers. Uh, but I think because of some of the poor play of the rest of the defensive line, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to do what we thought we were hoping he would do this year. Right. It has to be troubling though, right? Where it's, you Huge. know, yeah. if, if Trey Flowers comes out and he never had, like he said, never had that 15 sack season in New England, but was regarded as a great pass rusher. Yep. And then it looks like he maybe is not as good in, in Detroit. And Quandre Diggs, not as good in Detroit, goes to Seattle and he transforms that defense. Everyone loves him. Yep. It, it seems like you have a situation where defenders are coming in. They're playing worse than they were elsewhere. Yep. And then when defenders leave, they're doing better elsewhere. Yeah. Even Mike Daniels, a guy who, you know, was an impact player in Green Bay, got cut. You only figure he's not going to be the same guy in training. He had some injury issues, but just was not, he was anonymous all year. Yeah. So I think, you know, I, I get concerned about that, certainly. And I see where you're coming from with that. Um, I, I guess I want to start with this in terms of the Darius Lay situation. Sure. Is there any reason to think the Lions should trade Darius Slay beyond the fact that they just don't seem to want to pay him? The idea would be you're paying a 30, going to be 30-year-old cornerback, sure. 15, 16, 17 million dollars, and then that next deal that you're going to give him is going to be a two, three, four-year deal. Right. And are you paying a cornerback that is going to be in his early 30s? Mm-hmm that much money mm-hmm. you know and this is where it's like is byron jones a better cornerback than darius slay right now like right you know maybe maybe not but he's also you know four years younger than right. darius slay for sure so that if you're paying somebody 16 million dollars like i feel a little bit better paying byron jones than i would necessarily paying darius slay. that being said i've loved slay mm-hmm. i mean i i understand he was frustrated when when quadri Diggs left he was a really good friend uh, you know he's got a personality mm-hmm. i don't think that he's a bad guy in the locker room i don't no. think that he's you know he's 
he's he he is who he is, and and I love mm-hmm. that about him. But it's it's going to be tough for me to swallow the we're going to pay a guy to stay that I want to stay, mm-hmm. and and he said I'd love to play for the same team my entire career. Mm-hmm. It would be hard for me to be like yes. I want to pay a 32-year-old cornerback $17.5 million when I feel like we have so many holes mm-hmm. that we need to fill. We're probably going to have to overpay if we let Darius Slay walk or, you know, look at Okuda. We can get into however we, you know, you right. fix that, that secondary. But um, I think that I would probably let Darius Slay go. Mm-hmm. You trade him? I probably would. Um, is there a price tag where you feel like you'd feel good about it? A, a, um, at least a mid second. Yeah. I don't think I would want to any, any farther down than that. And it's like, I'd rather take, I'd rather have him for next year yeah. with the hopes that the defense does get better. And then maybe, all right, well, look at, we signed some more guys and maybe it helps him want to stay around. And now we've got him and whoever else we, you know, signed and free agency in the draft and, right. and maybe things change. That makes sense. And I mean, I guess maybe the devil's advocate argument here, which is, I think, maybe a little too devil's advocate for me. That's not a word, but no, well, you, you get know. the idea. Yeah. Like, the argument of, oh, well, we stunk with those guys. Right. So, like, how much worse can we be without Darius Slay? A lot. I think that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like I've seen how the cornerbacks who were not Darius Slay in this team – Justin Coleman played well, I think, the first half of the year, but struggled. But, struggled, yeah. But, I mean, the guys who aren't Darius Slay have been really bad. Which I think is really concerning. I think it's concerning, and I think that part of the problem is defenses would um, not necessarily look away from Slay, but right. like when you can tell when they're taking advantage of other opportunities on defense. Right. And so, you know, when you have that, a lot of times I think we as Lions fans just forget that they don't like Slay doesn't get thrown on all the time, so he's not right. always like making a ton of like huge plays. Right. But that's part of who he is. And, and a lot of these top cornerbacks, some guys are playmakers that are just always around the ball. Yep. And some guys just don't get the ball thrown at them a lot until right. you don't hear their name. So you start to devalue them in your head when Makes you sense. really shouldn't Right. as an average NFL fan. And if you really stop and look at, oh, actually, when he was thrown against, you know, sure, a couple you know things happen and whatnot. But, like, he was far and away easily our best defensive player, I think. Right. And it shifts the way you can cover, right? Where totally. it's like – Look at the Patriots, where it's like they have Stephon Gilmore. And I think Darius Slay is maybe not at quite at that level, but like certainly the second tier below yes. Stephon Gilmore, where it's, you know, you can change how you shift your safeties. You can change the way you shade your linebackers. You can change everything about how you focus your defense because you know, hey, we have a guy who we can trust who's going to give up a play here and there. Everyone does. Of course. But a guy who's going to be someone we can rely upon at that number one cornerback slot. And when they think about what to do with the third overall pick, if you don't have Darius Slay, that suddenly changes, right? I, it massively changes because if you haven't picked up somebody in free agency, then I don't know how you don't draft Jeffrey Okuda. Right. You just figure it's, hey, he's a guy who everyone seems to think is pretty good. Yep. Um, you have a need at that position. Honestly, let me ask you this then. If they keep Darius Slate, mm-hmm. if Darius Slate is not, it's still on the roster April 20, whatever. Yep. When the draft is. 23rd? Sure. I don't know. It's Vegas. It's a different yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> April, whatever, in Las Vegas. If Darius Slay is still on the roster and Justin Coleman is still on the roster because his contract is guaranteed, would you be comfortable with the Lions drafting Jeffrey Okuda with the third pick and just saying, we're going to just invest heavily at cornerback? Yes. As opposed to using a pick elsewhere? Yes. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I think the idea of like, I'm not sold that even if we kept uh, Slay that he would come back the following year. Right. So like, there's a little bit of a, it would be nice to be able to have that like safety, Mm -hmm. uh, not safety, but like the safety gap of like, if somebody comes in. Uh, at least we would have somebody else. Amani Oruwariye, um, mm-hmm. I always say his name wrong when I was it. Uh, I, to be fair, it's a pretty tough it's, name. It's a tough name. But 
I would like to see him continue to take a step towards the second half of the season. He started mm-hmm. to play okay. Yep. Um, I, I don't think he's a starter yet, but with another year under his belt and the idea that like Okuda as a guy that, you know, has had, I've, I've talked to Chris Brow about this, uh, you know, the Stefan Gilmore comparison, which is really hard because anytime you compare these rookies to like, the best player at his position in the league. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, well, I mean, calm down a little bit, but. <laughs> This, it's, it's like, it's comparisons. I'm not saying, right. no one is saying he will be that player, but like they have traits that match that sure. other player style. So, um, I think our second, it, it's one of two things. Either our secondary has got to get good enough to the point where when our pass rush can't get to the quarterback, mm-hmm. they're able to be able to still stay in coverage long right. enough to help. Or we need to be able to develop a pass rush that's getting to the quarterback fast enough that our secondary is not going to be exploited the way that it has. Right. And it seems like of the options that are likely to be available with the third overall pick, a cornerback is probably a better choice. If Chase Young was available, I would take Chase Young in a heartbeat. I wouldn't. Th- I wouldn't even think about a trade. I would say no to everybody, and I would take him in a second. But assuming Chase Young is gone, yep. And assuming uh, Joe Burrow is gone, uh huh. And his tiny hands, yes, um, little baby hands, yes. Is trading down something where you feel like not only you but also Lions fans on the whole would be happy with that, or is it just we have to add an impact player to six? I would trade down to I, I think six, but is, no lower. I don't think so. I would consider. I was talking to with my a buddy of mine about this earlier today. If you drop back to like ten or sure. eleven, I would have to have enough of enough draft capital, either this year and or next year, mm-hmm. to say we're going to give up on what is a you know top five prospect. Right. From that standpoint, and the the problem is we have so many needs that like yes. we could probably utilize all those right. draft picks. So will this one? potentially hopefully impact player although with cornerbacks it's hard to be an impact player year one is uh it's the idea of do you get more from that i mean i'm glad i'm not making this decision (laughs) Uh, like no offense to bob quinn and i love i've met bob and 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 a number of times and he's always been super you're on a first name basis with him bq and i are (laughs) but uh i think it would be tough to go anywhere farther than six because it's like we have a chance to get a guy that could Mm -hmm. be a for the next 10 years he can be a stalwart at whatever position that is for us and is it a thing where because you're skeptical of the moves they've made, mm-hmm. you have less faith in them? Yes. It's like it's almost like take the guy who not, can't miss but like is less likely to miss? Yes. The idea of you – know, I feel like there have been some problems with, with – I don't want to say problems. There have been a couple of guys where it's like, oh, that was an interesting choice. I was, I was a little surprised that we went that direction. Now, that being said, Kenny Galladay turned – I mean, and that was a late – a later round pick, Just by the like, third round pick, I think. Four, it was four, somewhere like, in there, in that range, yeah. But like, he's great. No problem with that. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But when you're taking a guy, you know, first or second round, I need that guy to you. You have to have them hit, right? Otherwise, you're in a position where you are the Detroit Lions, yes, or the New York Giants for that matter. Exactly. Um, on the flip side of that conversation, we talked about defensive players almost exclusively. Yeah. When it comes to that pick, if you are Bob Quinn. Mm-hmm. And you are evaluating to a Tango Valoa, and you think, oh my God, this is a superstar quarterback yep. who is going to be around for a long time. Do you do it? I talked to Martha. Yes. I am not on a first name basis. No. With Martha Ford. <laughs> I talked to Mrs. Ford. Uh, <laughs> and I say, I understand that we have basically been given a an ultimatum of yeah. win now mm-hmm. or go home. And the idea is... I would go to the front office and say to, to the owner and say, "This is a generational player right. that if this team passes on, you will be regretting for the next ten years." Because mm-hmm. as much as we all love Matthew Stafford in Detroit, 
you know, that cost-controlled quarterback is a thing that we have seen be very successful for teams. Yep. And if you know that this guy and everyone believes this kid is going to be it and you pass upon him because it's like, well, we have to win this year. And if you don't win this year, then you're out. Then your short-sightedness of the franchise of, you know, this coach and GM are like, well, in order to save my job, I got to take a guy that can compete now mm-hmm. rather than say, help me help you set up this franchise for the success long term. It's such a convoluted situation where right. it's like you've got to – you know, I, I feel bad for, you know, for Maddie P and for Bob to say, we've got to do this thing. We have to win now. I'm just, well, listen, I also, you know, MAPA, MAPA. Uh, but I mean, it's a really good conversation because if that's really what it is, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Right. And if you have a chance to get them there at three, have a cost controlled quarterback for five years, be able to move on from Matthew Stafford and get something for him. Let let Tua sit this year. There's right. almost no way to move on from Matthew with his dead money. It's right. ridiculous that anyone you don't would need, even suggest that. You don't need to. No. Like nothing nothing is forcing you to move on. Nope. Like, Matthew Stafford is not going to throw a temper tantrum. He might be pretty actually he'll probably be upset. Yeah. But like he'll get over it. Yep. And you have a quarterback in Tua Tangavailoa, or I guess Justin Herbert, but let's work with Tua as the example who is recovering from hip surgery mm-hmm. or hip, hip injury who it's not the worst thing in the world if he takes a year or the better part of a year and sits out. And Matthew Stafford, after this year, is still going to have pretty significant trade value. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, if he plays the way he played last year, the Niners – or not the Niners. The Chiefs traded Alex Smith and got a two mm-hmm. and Kendall Fuller, who was looking like a pretty promising corner at that time. Like, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Matthew Stafford a year from now. Yeah. And that wouldn't be a too onerous when it comes to uh, the salary cap. No. A little bit of dead money. A little bit of dead money, but like a manageable amount of dead money. You can make it work. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm I, inclined to agree with you. It seems like you are – if you think Tua is that dude, right? you would do it. I would go to my ownership and yeah. say, you need to let us do this for mm-hmm. you. Yes. And if if ownership comes back and says no – you have a mandate to win now. You know, that's where it gets difficult because it's like, am I going to try and save my job? Mm-hmm. Yes. But do I think it's the right decision? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like that short-sighted decision for a team in general, whether it's the Lions or anybody, when it comes to ownership and any of that front office, you have to be so in sync with, we have a vision. Yeah, We have a vision. I don't know what the vision is right now for the Lions. Do you think they know what the vision is? I think they thought they knew what the vision was, mm-hmm. and there was such an underwhelming amount of just gross underplaying from that defensive side of the football that mm-hmm. we thought. You know, you look at Deshaun Hand, who was coming off a great rookie year, yep. coming off the end with snacks. And like you said, Mike Daniels coming off a Pro Bowl season. Mm-hmm. Ashawn Robinson as just a rotational backup. Trey Flowers. I don't love – I've never loved our linebackers. Jared Davis is you know, fine when he has a delayed blitz, but he, mm-hmm. he he's never been a – we don't have any good pass coverage linebackers right. at all. Uh, and then our secondary is tough. I love Tracy Walker. I'm hopeful that he's going to turn into somebody. Uh, Will Harris, who we drafted last year, like he came in. And that's the whole point of the Quandary Dix trade is they said that he was coming on. Yep. Um, but like everybody just underplayed to a right. point where it's like, all right, well, now we've locked ourselves in this position where if we don't win now, we have to go home. And I don't know. It, it, it's it's just such a hard conversation to have. the The whole idea at this for me though is you have to take a can't miss prospect as right. much as it, as much as you can. No one knows, but right, just to, the the least likely risk of failure. Yes. So let's say the Lions are here at the combine, which I assume they are. They are. Um, let's say they check Jeff Akuta's medicals. They interview him. Think, man, this is our guy. So we know 
unless I'm the, unless we Joe Burrow or Chase Young drop, in which case we're also good. We'll take one of those guys. Correct. But we're taking Jeffrey Okuda three unless we get the sort of multi first round pick massive trade that we have to take. Right. So then we work backwards. Mm-hmm. We work backwards to the end of February right now. You're entering free agency. Let's say twenty million or so to spend. Where do you want them to spend that on that roster? Uh, so with Graham Glasgow probably likely gone, we're yep. going to have to address at least one offensive line position, if sure. not two, with uh, Rick Wagner. He, he could be a cap casualty, yeah. Could be. Um, I don't think he played up to the potential that we had hoped when we signed him to the deal that we signed him to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's some offensive line stuff we need to look at there. I'm okay with our running backs. Uh, I don't have a problem there. I'm okay with our wide receivers with the idea that, like, as a – when I look at the draft – um, you know, maybe late day two, early day three speedster. I would like to see eight billion wide receivers. There's a ton of them. Yeah. So like, that's not a thing I need to worry about. You sure. know, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola. I think TJ Hawkinson hopefully takes another step this year. Good figure. Um, so like, that's not offensively. I don't think we need to worry about it from that standpoint as much sure. as the middle of the defensive line mm-hmm. absolutely has to be solidified. I think that our, our cornerback situation, I'm, it's hard because got to figure out Darius Slate. I don't know what Justin Coleman is. Is Justin Coleman first half of the year or is Justin Coleman second half right. of the year? And even, even Justin Coleman's past, it was he was bouncing around the league and then had one great year in Seattle. Yep, yep. So it's tough to gauge. You know, he knew, we know he has upside where he could be a really really good slot corner, but can he be that guy for an entire year? Right, and that's the hard part. Our safeties are super young, and it's like there's a lot on defense where it's just like I feel like depth. We need depth, and we need a, you know a couple of guys. I think especially on the defensive line. Uh, and potentially either, either a really good pass rushing linebacker or a guy that is a, you know, really good coverage linebacker that can help us in those situations. Mm-hmm. So you see, you don't want it to be like one or two guys. You want it to be spread around three or four guys when it comes to the defense, it seems like. If, if Darius Slay goes, then yeah. I like the idea of like, let's try and look at a Byron Jones or somebody like that. Yep. If we keep Darius Slay, then I think you're, I am looking at at least one defensive lineman that we will probably, I don't want to say have to overpay, but like you substantially spend on. Right. And then I'm filling out my linebacker, you know, another couple linebackers that are better than what we have. Um, and it's so hard. Like Romeo Quara and Devon Kennard, like they're, they're, they're rotational guys. They're guys, but they're like they're play, NFL players. Yes. But they're not guys you want to necessarily rely upon for no 75% of stuff. Just the, just the look on your face when it's, you said no. It's, and I was literally just saying like, if he's, if, if, if either of those guys are playing 75% of the snaps for this team. Yeah. Then something has gone wrong mm-hmm. in our in our depth department, right? Because they should be a guy that comes in that is healthy and fresh to take advantage of a tired offensive line to be mm-hmm. able to get to a quarterback, and they're they're great rotational players from right. that standpoint. So, um, I I want to see defensive line. I want to see linebackers, and depending on what happens with Slay, I think you're looking at cornerback and then offensive line based on Graham Glasgow and, and what happens with Rick Wagner in the cap. Okay, so final question, Daniel Dab, layout. From this point forward, through the first round of the draft, mm-hmm. your dream Lions offseason. Doesn't have to be like specific players, but just like we, you know, we decide this about Darius Slate. We decide this on the third pick. We. This is everything that I could ever want to like fall into place. Yes. Like, but beyond like Tom Brady decides for $500,000 he's going to play for the Lions. Like, realistically. Sure. Could he do that? League minimum is higher than 500K, right? Oh, I don't know. Let's say a million dollars. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> He's Tom Brady. He cheats. He yeah, that's Brady. right. That's right. Uh, you're going to get so many tweets about that. Trade Darius Slay for a second. Okay. Byron Jones decides to come play for the Lions on a four-year deal. Okay. So you got cornerback, then with Jones and Coleman. Yep. 
Um, I think at that point we're looking at signing at least one impact player on defense and free agency. Would you bring back the Dominican Sue if that was an option? Yeah, I don't. I'm not one of those people to be like, this is a pro-, like for the right price. You yeah, know, if he doesn't want him like, I, I, I have no problem with that. I'm not one of those people that like, unless it's Brandon Knight and the Detroit Pistons, in which case, like, I have <laughs> no idea what, what we're doing there. But, uh, I, I would totally bring him back. I'd have no problem with that. Okay. I think outside of finding another impact of impact defensive lineman, mm-hmm. uh, I want to find depth at linebacker. Yep. I want to find a starter on the offensive. Uh, Someone who is in line to compete for the starting job on the offensive line based yep. on how the draft turns out. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the draft. I want to trade back with the Dolphins from three to five. I want to pick up an, another first round pick, uh, outside of five, either sure. they're, they're like, or a couple of seconds from them from that sure. standpoint. Still either be able to get Okuda, Simmons, uh, you know, Brown, one of those three guys, all, any one of those three would help us out mm-hmm. and would be probably be available at five based on quarterbacks going. Where they would go. Early so you'd now. rather have one of the defensive players in a dream scenario than Tua. Yeah. Interesting. I right now with the way that it is, because I do not believe that this franchise, as much as I want it to to be, I don't believe that this franchise would look at the long term of two of for ten years over you have to win now because there was a mandate from the ownership. Mm-hmm. So that's be just the realistic thing in my head. And and if that at all season happens what will the Lions record be in 2020? Probably nine and seven. I, I could buy that. That's not out of the question for me in the slightest. I mean, this is a team that I think certainly when I write my column in August about like the team's most likely to improve, they're going to be on there. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they have Niners upside necessarily, but who thought the Niners were going to be the Niners? This no, year? To- totally. I think there's a big aspect to the idea uh, of the Detroit Lions have got to figure out with players in the NFL, we have a culture that you want to come play for. Yep. And I do not believe that players feel that way. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Darius Slay, even like Darius Slay goes to the Pro Bowl and it's just like this, you know, Quandre Diggs was in his mind, you know, run out of town and, mm-hmm. and Snacks is now gone. And it's like, do you think that other Lions players are talking to their friends and free agents of like, dude, it's so great to play here. You got to come. And that's like, that's a serious thing when it's of like, course. you're trying to convince players to come to play in your team. And it's Detroit. It's not LA or San Francisco mm-hmm. or Miami or one of these you know, nice destinations. So you are coming there because you think the culture is a winning culture because you think that there is a vision and a direction for this team. Right. And players on this team could very well actively be telling other players, dude, I'm trying to get out of here as fast as I can. That's a massive problem. Of course it is. You have to change that. For sure. we've been trying to do that for 20 years. It's a bummer to end on, but I think there are reasons at least to be optimistic. Totally. I think they'll be better in 2020, but I think a lot to do this offseason, a lot of ways the offseason could go, and that's why I wanted to have you on. I appreciate you, Daniel. Where can people check out more of your opinions? Uh, I am on Twitter, at Daniel Dopp. I am on Instagram at something to break and, uh, I've got a really great Spotify playlist called crappy bands you've never heard of, uh, which is a joke from the fantasy focus football podcast between mm-hmm. Matthew Barry and I, uh, that if you're into a bunch of like emo, indie rock, screamo kind of stuff, there's some good singer songwriter stuff on there too. Uh, you should check it out because I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I would recommend. I think yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> All right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks so much to my guests today, Dominic Foxworth and Daniel Topp, both of ESPN. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Two different sorts of discussions. We're just finishing up at the Combine here. Going to have more free agent stuff coming up, I think, in the weeks to come. 
lot to talk about there. Who knows where Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, so many important players are going to sign. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come here on the Bill Barnwell Show. So thanks so much for listening.